Well, let's read uh, again from uh, continuing on from where we left off in John chapter 20, verse 1, and uh, read down to verse 18. So Jesus has been laid in the tomb, and verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there, uh, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your words, uh, we thank you for this marvelous story, very human story. But we pray that you'd bless us as we study it together. Help us to pay attention to it and to receive all its, its spiritual nourishment to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Easter Day is the, it's the greatest day in the Christian calendar. Uh, it's the day that we mark the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And uh, since the early days of the church, um, the resurrection has been at the core of the Christian message. Uh, And to put it bluntly, without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. There is no Christian message. And it was the message of the resurrection that propelled the church, the apostles, out into the world from that small provincial city, Jerusalem, in the grand scheme of things, to the ends of the earth. 
And these apostles, they believed that Jesus truly had risen from the dead. They had seen the evidence of the empty tomb. And as the story goes on, they met with Jesus. They ate with him, they touched him, they heard him speak. Uh, They ate breakfast with him. And so they understood that he had risen from the dead. The empty tomb was not just a mistake, but he had risen from the dead. And they understood as he went out into the world the significance of the resurrection. That sin and death had been defeated. And that forgiveness of sins was now possible through Jesus Christ. And so that if people came to Jesus Christ and believed in him and trusted in him, then he would give them eternal life and they would live forever. Yes, they may die physically, but eternally they would live forever. Well, this morning I want to examine with you this Bible passage we read a moment ago, where Mary Magdalene... And Peter and John discover the tomb to be empty. And then Mary meets Jesus in the garden, but she doesn't quite know who it is at first. So two things that we can say from this passage. First of all, to say that Jesus did what he said he would do. In rising from the dead, he did what he said he would do. He had been crucified, he had been buried, but now the tomb is empty. And Mary Magdalene, who was one of those early disciples of Jesus, uh, saved from being uh, troubled by demons, but Jesus saved her. And she became a follower of Jesus. And she, she doesn't appear much in the gospel until the end here. But she comes and she discovers that the stone that they had put in front of the tomb to block it off had been moved. And Mary turns around and she goes back to, to Peter and John. And, and I know we know it's John, it's John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and John is very modest here. He doesn't mention his own name here. He says, just the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's speaking about himself. Because I knew the love of Jesus. And they too run to the the tomb, and they discover, Peter and John, that the tomb is empty. Now the three people, they react quite differently to the tomb. And I'll come to Mary in a moment, uh, though she she appeared first. But I want to just think about Peter and John at the moment. And they run, when they hear the news, they run to the tomb. And two, a couple of observations about how they come to the tomb. First of all, uh, you may wonder why John mentions this, that John, the disciple and whom Jesus loved, outran Peter. So John runs faster. He runs like a mad thing, trying to get to the tomb. And uh, I think the attitude of how you run tells you a great deal about what's kind of going on internally in the minds and the hearts of of Peter and John. Uh, 
I don't think it's just that John is fitter, (laughs) slimmer, runs faster, uh, but actually something's going on in his heart. Uh, Something was triggered in John that wasn't quite in Peter yet. Uh, Peter's the kind of, as you may know, was a kind of headstrong, impulsive figure. And uh, when he heard something he didn't like, he kind of ignored it. Remember when Jesus said to him that he, would have to, he had to go to Jerusalem, he had to suffer and die at the hands of uh, the elders and chief priests, and then he had to rise again. Uh, Jesus, uh, Peter says, uh, that shall never happen to you. He kind of ignores it. And it kind of gets him in trouble. That kind of headstrong kind of attitude kind of gets him in trouble quite a few times. But on the other hand, John is... He seems to be a bit more of a ponderer. He thinks about things. He works things out. He puts the jigsaw pieces together. And he begins to, a little bit, to make sense of what's, what's going on. And I think John had been paying attention to what Jesus had been teaching uh, in his ministry. And maybe John didn't understand what Jesus meant by that he had to go and die and then rise again. But he stored it up and he said, I'm I'm waiting to see what's going to happen here. And now he receives the the news of the empty tomb and suddenly there's a trigger. He thinks, can it be true? Can it be true? And so he runs. Much faster than Peter, who's probably a bit downcast. You may remember that Peter had denied Jesus. So Jesus was arrested just before he was crucified. And people asked Peter, were you not one of his disciples? And Peter says, no, I never knew the man. Because he's scared and afraid. And now he's downcast. But John, that trigger goes off in his head. He runs fast to the tomb. And then secondly, when they get there, uh, John gets to the entrance. And remember, he thinks Jesus is dead at this point. He saw the crucifixion with his own eyes. But the tomb is open. And he looks in. He sees the cloth lying there. He's, he does, but he doesn't see a body lying there. And he doesn't go in. He's, he's hesitating. What's going on? In this tomb. And then Peter catches up. And what does he do? Headstrong Peter. He says, charges straight in there. And uh, has a look around. And he sees this. The linen cloth. The headband. Folded neatly. At the end. Of where Jesus was laid. And now John believes. It takes a few seconds perhaps. To think. How can I make sense of what I'm seeing here? But now he believes. He heard Jesus talk about the resurrection body and how he was going to see with his own eyes. And now he sees that no one's is the body is not there, and he believes. And so what we have here is John believing on the basis of the facts that are before him. And on the words of Jesus. He puts the two together. He says, this is what Jesus has said. And here's the evidence. And he puts them together. 
And he says, he must be right. It's true, I believe. Now, interestingly, I think it's, it's a curious thing that um, in verse 9, it says, John says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. I think uh, this is not a fully mature belief yet. He's still f- fitting things together. He's not quite making sense of it. But he's believing something about it. My friends, this morning, this is what Jesus wants us to believe as well today. Jesus Christ didn't come into the world with wise teaching. He didn't come into the world with a moral code to live by or simply a new way of looking at the world, a kind of spirituality. He came to talk about himself and the work that he is going to do. Read the Gospels. See how he points to what he is going to do and his own identity. The question in all the Gospels is, who is this man? Who is this man? What does he do? He dies as planned as promised in Old Testament scripture. He rises from the dead, as the Old Testament scripture says, as Jesus himself said. And the consequence of that is that all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And all of this is founded upon the historical facts And John is putting those facts before us. There's so much about this account that is personal and details that make sense, only makes sense if it actually happened that way. And friends, I need to say to you today, for you to be a Christian, you need to believe in the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The Christian gospel is not simply a personal experience. You know how some people say, well, I I know that Jesus lives in my heart. Because, you know, I know Jesus lives because he lives in my heart. And I want him to live in your hearts as well. And some people's evangelistic approach to, you know, preaching the gospel is that sort of experience. And will say, I want you to experience what I experience. The trouble is, it's not quite the gospel. It actually isn't the gospel. See, you could meet someone who says, Krishna lives in my heart. (laughs) Or you could meet somebody who says, Elvis lives in my heart. You know, Elvis Presley. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) See, so what do you do then if you're a Christian? You say, well, you know, Jesus can live in your heart. Is that all you're saying? You just have an experience, a feeling about Jesus? Um, What are you going to say in response to that person who believes in Elvis? Well, here's what you say. You turn to the verifiable, objective facts of history and say, this Jesus who came into the world, who was seen by these eyewitnesses, Matthew and John, And probably Mark. 
and you take the eyewitness testimony and you check out the facts and you say Jesus rose from the dead that's how I became a Christian when I was a 17 year old I was a sci- planning to be a scientist I'd just gone to university stud- studying physics and maths and chemistry and stuff like that and uh, very excited about it all and I wanted, it, I wanted evidence for everything I wanted to prove my credentials as a scientist and uh, and so when I met some Christians who said to me, uh, why would you, like, would you like to come and study the Bible? And I knew the Bible because I used to go to Sunday school at church when I was a kid. And I remember the first study was on the resurrection. And I remember the debate we had. It was about a three-hour long meeting I had with this bunch of Christians. And I was arguing and saying, but they, all the reasons why the resurrection couldn't have happened. Somebody took the body away. Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Uh, the disciples took the body away and hid it. Or the, the Pharisees took the body away and hid it. And every step, I can't go through all of that just now, but every step of the way, there was a reason why my objection couldn't be true. And once I'd exhausted all possibilities, there was only one option left. That the reason the tomb was empty is because Jesus actually had ridden, risen from the dead. And I have to say, that was the experience. That was the, 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 the ton of bricks moment. Like you felt clobbered by truth. And it's, you had that sense that Christ was actually living that very moment. And he was alive. And he had a call upon my life. He was calling to me. Maybe he's calling to you this morning. Is he calling to you, this risen Jesus? It's Jesus who rose from the dead. Well, Jesus said, did what he said he was going to do. Here's the second thing. Jesus gives hope to those who look for him. To, who look for him. And for this I want to turn to Mary. And it's a beautiful story, isn't it? Uh, this story of Mary Magdalene. She's eager to, to find Jesus' body, to look after it. So she goes to the tomb and they and then she runs to the disciples and, say, and says, they've taken, the, they've taken him, they've taken his body. They don't, I mean, it's not identified who the they is. Somebody's taken the body. And notice the human way that she refers to the body. She still refers to the body as him. As though he still exists. It's a very personal thing, isn't it? As though he was only asleep or something. And she couldn't bring herself, I think, to, to mention, speak of the body as an it. It's still him. And after verse 2, she doesn't appear again until verse 11. Uh, and she has not yet realized, uh, shared in John's realization of the significance of the empty tomb yet. And perhaps she's not fully aware of all that Jesus said uh, about what was going to happen to him. So after the two men have gone away, we find her weeping outside the tomb, desolate, inconsolable. What am I going to do? Where's the body? My dear Jesus. And then an amazing thing happens. As it were, God seems to intervene. God kind of breaks into her life. A wonderful, supernatural intervention in her life and friends you know if you believe in a supernatural God you should 
expects that God occasionally, supernaturally intervenes. Peter and John have gone home. Mary's weeping outside the tomb, but these two angels appear. And they ask what seems to be an interested question in verse 13. Woman, why are you weeping? And then an even more remarkable thing happens. And John, I think, is a bit of a storyteller. Because at this moment, Jesus appears. And it's clear that Mary doesn't recognize him. Uh, she, she thinks he's the gardener. <laughs> well, what else would you assume? And, you, and it's one of those little details that reminds us that this was a, a real event. It wasn't a made-up story. You know, if you made up the story, you would say, oh, all, all the waves of recognition would wash over her and she would be amazed and she'd uh, you know, hug Jesus and so on. But it didn't happen like that. It was, she thought she was, he was somebody else. You know, when you see somebody out of context, you often, sometimes don't recognize them, do you? In a place where you don't expect to see them, you think, can't really be that person. And sometimes you think it's somebody totally, totally different. So she can see a man in front of her, but she can't see Jesus yet. Two different senses of seeing here. And she explains a predicament. She needs to find the body of Jesus um, but there's still no recognition that he's in front of her. But when he says her name, suddenly all is clear. When he says Mary, what was it about him saying Mary that seemed to kind of trigger for her a recognition? Was it just the tone that he said it in? Was it a special way that Jesus spoke to Mary? Having come out of such a dreadful background? That he was very tender with her. When he said her name, she was was suddenly full of realization. You know, the shepherd has come here. Jesus spoke about how he was the good shepherd. And he said, my sheep hear my voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Here's Mary, one of his sheep as it were, hearing Jesus call her. And now she understands who he is, who she's looking at. And she clung to Jesus. (laughs) It's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? She immediately throws her arms around Jesus because she doesn't want to leave him. And Jesus has to tell her, let let go. (laughs) Don't cling to me. Just, ah, ease off. (laughs) You can imagine it. You know, if if Mary could have her way, she would would never want to be apart from Jesus again. And preferably with her hands on him so that she'll never lose him again. So if if John's reaction to the empty tomb highlights rational belief in Jesus and all that is said, Mary highlights a heartfelt love for Jesus that can grip anybody who discovers Jesus Christ. This is true, you see, for a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. 
that even today that having that having truly met him, to have truly seen him, nothing can ever be the same again without him. And that there is great sadness in his absence. And if a Christian, a true Christian today, experiences any kind of distance from Jesus in your walk with him, your relationship to him, then there is an inevitable, and it may be caused by sin. You see, you may allow sin to come in, and then the distance of, uh, emerges between you and Jesus. Yet there is, a, there is a kind of grief that comes upon you when you're separated from him. You may fight against that grief if you're a Christian. Because there's this impulse now, if, if you know him, to want to continue to know him, to know him better. Well, Mary... Uh, cannot have what she wants at this time for the simple reason that Jesus has not quite finished his work. Jesus has to go next uh, in 40 days' time. He's got to go to his Father. He has to ascend to heaven. And he will return to his Father and enjoy the glory with, with him that he had before the world began. But the thing I want to leave you with is look what this means for the disciples. This return of Jesus to, uh, to, to his father. So you read verse 17. He says, I am ascending to my father and to your father. To my God and to your God. You see, just as the father is Jesus' father... So he is the father of every disciple of Jesus. Just as God is Jesus God, so he is the God of every disciple of Jesus. And Jesus is emphasizing here that there is an essential unity between Jesus and his disciples that believe in him. That you too can have this relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has that intense, close relationship with his Father. You can share in that. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means that everything that Jesus has is given to you. And you begin to experience all that he experiences, not not all its fullness yet. Uh, It's the consummation of all things and Jesus coming back again. But you can begin to experience that union with Christ that leads you into the presence of God the Father. And you can enjoy that fellowship with him. And so when Jesus says, I am ascending to glory... He's also saying you are going to share in that glory as well. And this is what it means to be to have eternal life. To share in that glory. And so every believer in the risen and ascended Jesus Christ is given this glorious hope of eternity. And your life is never the same again because this is not all that there is. This is a message for Mary to give to the other disciples. Let me finish. Let me ask you this morning as we conclude. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I don't mean 
do you believe that Christians believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Nor do I mean, do you believe it as a so-called religious truth, as though it's not true truth? I mean, do you believe that Jesus actually, literally, bodily, rose from the dead? You see, it matters. The implication of it is that if, um, if one man has been raised literally, bodily, from the dead, then it is possible for others to be raised literally, bodily, from the dead. And the remarkable thing about this resurrection story is that, that it wasn't just an event out of the blue. Jesus talked about it before he was killed. He expected it. And the scripture spoke of it. This resurrection, death and resurrection. Which all points to the fact that the empty tomb is something of great historical and eternal significance. And John is keen to put this before us. That the resurrection sets the context for his whole life. It changes everything for him. And as he lays it out, he, he says towards the end of chapter, one, chapter 20, verse 31, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? I hope so. Because if you do, you'll never be the same again. And you too will be raised on the last day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this wonderful passage, uh, glorious passage. Thank you for the tenderness with which Jesus spoke to Mary. And we know that Jesus speaks tenderly to each one of us who has a love for Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would know his resurrection power in our lives. And we, we would know the joy of fellowship with God day by day. In Jesus' name. Amen.